Well, turn with me back to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 19 says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. What a phrase. You know, this is again one of those reminders of why you're supposed to read the Bible and, and be in the Word and meditate on it day and night. I don't know how many times I've read the Bible. Um, definitely don't know how many times I've read he, the book of Hebrews. And, and yet coming to this passage and seeing that phrase, it's, it's like, I've never seen that before. I've never heard anybody talk about that, right? The anchor of the soul. Well, what is the anchor, the anchor of your soul, right? It's like, I, I want to know. That, 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 let's learn. And so as, as we start in the beginning of, of chapter 6, you know, kind of with, with, with that in, in mind, the anchor of our soul, the anchor of our faith. Verse 1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, re- remember just before that, in Hebrews 5, last week we were talking about, starting verse 11, concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Why? Why is it hard to explain? Because you have become dull of hearing. Ouch. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have the need again of somebody to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. You're you're a little baby. Ouch. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, because they're in the word, because they meditate on it day and night and are like trees firmly planted by streams of water that will yield fruit in season. Because of this practice, they have their senses trained, trained to discern good and evil. Wow, no more do we need more training and being wise and discerning of what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong, what's biblical versus unbiblical, what's righteous versus unrighteous. All the the lines are being blurred now, right? And unfortunately, usually in the church. And so we go from that and then therefore, verse 1, chapter 6, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ. So we're transitioning, right? We're Hey, you guys aren't babes. You are mature. We're, we're not going to address the elementary stuff. That should get you excited too. We're, we're getting ready to talk about something a little more meaty, right? Leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of fallen and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, and laying on the hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. For in the case of those, now we're going to get to some, some meat, right? We're going to get to some, some serious stuff, not elementary teaching. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, And have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. And have tasted the good word of God. And the powers of the ages to come. 
and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Well, at that point, we most definitely should pause and say, what did I just hear there, right? Did, did, did I hear that correctly? Did, did, is, did I really hear that, you know, there's going to be some who have been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, have been partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the ages to come, and they will fall away. And it will not be possible for them to repent. It sounds like they were one thing and then fell away, and now there's no going back. It sounds like, and the argument here, the theological argument here then is, is this a passage that's saying you can lose your salvation? You, you can lose your salvation. You can be a Christian and then not be a Christian. Well, that's a, that's a serious thing, right? That's no laughing matter. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a couple weeks looking at this. But we're going to take a, a, a quick little step back from Hebrews 6. And we're just going to ask kind of that big picture overview what's a Christian? Because if, if we don't know what a Christian is, then, then you're not going to understand, well, can you stop being a Christian? And so that becomes very, very important. And here, here's the thing, you know, when we talk about spiritual maturity, it always revolves around a clear understanding of the gospel. It's so fascinating. When you look at, when we just got done studying Galatians, the key point there, getting the gospel right. And if somebody, even if an angel comes and gives you the wrong gospel, right, then anathema. When we went to Romans, you got to get the gospel right. The gospel has the power unto salvation, right? And we see how powerful the gospel is throughout Romans. And so we love to argue about all these weird Things And we see an example of this in Hebrews 6 um, in the beginning. And, and it's kind of thrown out there. And we'll get this next week. But it's kind of like thrown out there about these instructions about washings and laying on hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And, and what's that's like elementary stuff. You're arguing and fighting about these theological things that don't even matter all that much. Now, this is what matters. The gospel matters. Your salvation matters. What genuine Christianity is, that matters. And so today we want to look at what a Christian is so that we can understand the difference between genuine Christianity and the tasters. Because there's clearly tasters. There, 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 you know, this is Costco. I mean, you can walk in and, and, and have lunch on taste testing, right? But that's not a meal. It's not a meal. And so we're going to see kind of eight marks of genuine Christianity and, and just kind of, you know, go throughout some, some different verses in the Bible. Because again, our, 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 our dying question is, can you lose salvation? Now, there's no like cliffhanger. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to like bait switch you or have some kind of like, you know, big, you know, reveal at the end. Uh, it's my position that you cannot lose your salvation. And the reason is because you don't do anything to earn it. You don't do anything to get it. You don't do anything to, to keep it. So in that, it's all in Christ. And so because of what he did, that's why you're saved. And so that doesn't change. Now there's confusion because we're going to see, a, we, we see a lot of biblical passages that talk about, hey, look, you need to obey. You need to follow. You, you need to have fruit. Yes, yes, yes. But all those things are, are markings of Christians. That's not how you become one. And it's critical that we understand that, uh, especially as we kind of unravel the, uh, the, the pieces of this. So, a Christian is then a person who has fully uh, trusted in Jesus Christ as the only Lord and Savior. And therefore possesses the Holy Spirit. So just basically that's the Holy Spirit. So we see in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It begins with this, this belief, right? We, we see in Ephesians 2.8.9. For by faith you're saved through grace not of your own but it's a gift a free gift from God again you you did nothing to earn this you did nothing to deserve it it's a gift we all just got done uh, you know with with Christmas and getting gifts and stuff right and, and you get all these gifts 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 you didn't pay for them you don't owe anybody anything back for them they're just a, a free gift salvation is a free gift by faith by belief um, it's, a, it's beautiful Romans 10.9 says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died was buried and rose again then you will be saved and so then it, that goes to the core of the gospel the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ which by the way you know that's crazy talk Right? The only way you can come to an under, a, a real understanding and grasp that is the Holy Spirit has to come indwell you, convict and change your heart to believe it. Because otherwise, you know, say it out loud, you know, walk down the hallway at work or school. And it's like, I believe that God, Emmanuel, came down, was born as a baby, walked the face of the earth, got on a cross, died for my sins, was buried in the ground and rose again. And that's how all my sin is covered and paid for. In a nutshell, that is Christianity. And amen, so be it. That is what it is. Well, that's a faith thing, right? Now it's supported by a lot of biblical uh, background, but that, that's our faith. Uh, Acts 16, uh, 31 and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. This is when, um, you know, Paul's in, in jail and they're, 
they're singing praises and they're you know they're praying and you know the jailers come and they're like what the heck is going on great question verse 30 what must i do to be saved great question right greatest question in the bible what do i have to do to be saved okay get your notepads out this is going to get deep guys believe in the lord jesus wow it's that simple it's that simple so with this definition of mine again can a can a christian lose his faith well Take a look at some some key marks. A Christian is a new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Let me turn there because I really don't want to paraphrase. You know that happens a lot, but God's word is so good, so good to just read it and absorb it. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, if, it's a big if, big matzo ball, if you're in Christ, then you are a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We're reconciled through God. Wow. What a what a picture. We're we're new creatures. That is that idea of in, in John that we see saw in John when Nicodemus goes before Jesus and says, Hey, how does this work? What do, what do I do to get saved? And he goes, What you need to do is you need to be born again. By far my my favorite description of, of Christianity and what a Christian is is a born again Christian. If, if you're not a, a new creature, if the old isn't dead and, and there isn't a new, then you would have to ask yourself, was this genuine? Was it genuine? Um, as much as I would prefer that I had never sinned and never did anything wrong, and uh, I'm still very grateful that I could have. A, a clear mark of life where I could say, you, you changed. You're a different person. You, you don't think the same. You don't desire the same. Uh, you are new. A new creature. Romans 6, uh, 6 through 7 says it this way. You were a slave, right? You were a slave of unrighteousness you were a slave to sin now you are dead to it you're new you're a new creature and again this isn't to say that you are never ever going to sin again right that's not what we're saying but what we are saying is there's been a transition there's been a new birth there's been a, a a new work in you and so for a Christian to lose his salvation, the, the new creation that God created, because it's God who orchestrates this. Remember even Nicodemus, well, wait a minute. How, how can a man be born again? Right? It's impossible. This is a God thing. So for a Christian to lose his salvation, then the new creation that God cre- created would, would have to be destroyed by God himself. That should make you question that. Well, a Christian is redeemed. A Christian is redeemed. Our, our next point, 1 Peter, 1 Peter uh, 1 through 18. 
uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed, you were not redeemed with perishable things. And I love when the Bible just answers the question that you probably want to ask. What do you mean? Perishable things like money? Like cash? Yeah. Perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you were not redeemed with this, with worldly means of, of wealth or income, but you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times. Why? For the sake of you. Wow. Verse 23. For you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. So a Christian is redeemed. How are you redeemed? You're purchased by Christ. You've been purchased. Bought and paid for. There's, it's not on credit. It's not an IOU. It's not the layaway plan. If you, some of you remember those days. Okay, no, this is bought and paid for in cash. You've got a receipt. So for a Christian to lose their salvation, then God himself would have to, his, his purchase would not be worth anything that, that God's payment was, is worth less than man's gold or silver or check or cash think about that for a Christian who loses salvation then God's payment was invalid not good enough because that's what would have to happen well, the fourth mark of a Christian is a Christian is justified. Romans, Romans 5.1. So hard to just only pick out one verse in these powerful passages. So I encourage you to take note of the verses, but then go back and, and read the whole chapters if you can. Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified how how are you justified what is that idea of justification it's a, again that's that idea of being on trial right you are guilty you're standing before the judge you're on trial justice needs to be weighed right well the justice for a sinner the wage of a sinner is death he earned it you worked for it you worked hard for it well done you. You deserve a lot of hell. That's why it's big and deep and hot. It's well deserved. Therefore, you though have been justified by faith. Remember that Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that, that, that faith that's tied in with grace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Wow. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless, while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would hardly die for a righteous man, 
though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. You weren't good. You weren't righteous. You were helpless. You were ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, you didn't make mistakes, you sinned. You violated God's law. That's when Christ dies for us. That's when Christ died for you, for me, much more than having now. Now we've been justified. Now we're standing before the judge of the universe innocent. How? By his blood. We have been saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his own son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. A Christian is justified by God. And for a Christian to lose his salvation, then this passage would have no meaning. God would have to go back on his word and renege on what justification is. The whole point of justification is that you are helpless, you are ungodly, you are sinful, and you are an enemy. None of that suggests that you were good at all. Again, you know, you go before the judge and the ticket, and it's like, well, it was a speed trap. Well, the sun was in my eyes. Well, my odometer. Well, I was going the pace of the other cars. None of that flies. No, you were, you were, you were guilty all the way. Ironically, it's in that guilt that you stand boldly before the throne and say, I'm justified. What? <laughs> How can you say that? Because, verse 9, the blood of Christ. His blood saves me. It's like Monopoly, the get out of jail free card. Here, I'm going to play this right now. Innocent. Justified. Legal term. No going back on that. It's no going back. And we've all seen those cases, right? Crazy cases. And you're like, what? We even have a term, right? Double jeopardy. You, you, you can't try somebody twice for the same crime. Once the justification has been made, it's, it's set in stone. I think our God is more fair and, and meads out justice better than our, our court system. Well... The fifth example we see here is a Christian is promised eternal life. Again, we see in, in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, will not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so we see here that there's a promise for a Christian. There's a great promise. And that promise is tied into a timeline of eternity. So a genuine Christian is going to be saved forever. There's no breaking points. There's no, well, forever actually really means like two years because he had a two, he had a, a good run for two years, right? 
he was doing pretty good for two years. Um, but no, it's eternal. It's forever. You, you, for Christian to lose salvation, eternal life would have to be completely redefined. A promise would have to be completely redefined because God promises eternity. So now what you would have to say is God really wasn't promising and it really isn't eternity. It's something entirely different. No, a Christian's promised eternal life. It's a supernatural promise, by the way. Um, And there's only one way to have eternal life and and that's through God himself so our our whole faith is tied into that well the sixth mark is a christian is marked by by God who and sealed sealed by by the spirit turn with me if you can ephesians 1 This idea of sealing is an interesting concept. Ephesians 1.13 In Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed... Right, stop there. How can one become a Christian? Very, very difficult, long process, a lot of steps. Right? No. Somebody who... Listen to a message of truth, that is, the gospel of your salvation. Somebody who did that, having believed, okay, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge to our inheritance with a view to redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. At the moment of faith, the new Christian is marked and sealed with the Spirit. This, this idea of a seal is it's, it's an old, you know, traditional thing where especially the Romans were big on seals. Uh, as, as a leader, you, you would have a, a signet ring, signet, signature ring. Okay, that, that ring would then, this is like the modern day Visa card. Because with that, it's got your name, it's got your information, it's got your credit. Okay, I, I can buy and purchase things by putting my my signet ring into a seal. And that seal is like, you know, if you guys have seen the old letter seals with the plastic and you put it in there and then you would say, oh, that's a that's a unique marking, like a brand. Right? That that's that's Tony. He's good for it. His credit is good. This is a bond. This is a promise. This is surety. Um, a contract. A guarantee. This, this seal is essentially, this is my promissory note. When, when I put that on there, you can show that and take that anywhere. 100% guarantee. It's a covenant. And so this picture here that we see is that after somebody listens to the message of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believes in their heart, at that point the Holy Spirit seals you in. For somebody to lose their salvation, they'd have to take that back. Not me. Not, not even you. God would have to take that back. The Holy Spirit would have to remove the seal. 
them himself. He'd have to erase it and withdraw this, this guarantee. Well, and I, and I hope you guys see this building up here because there's, there's a couple things tied into this idea of one losing their salvation. One would be, it's one thing to say, well, because you're a no good crummy sinner, this is why you can lose your salvation. I buy that totally. Yes. If it's dependent on you living today and now going out the door and forevermore being perfect, yeah, good luck, right? That's why the emphasis here keeps going to, to, to Christ over and over and over in and, and all kinds of different ways, shapes and forms to remind you it's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on you. The, the Old Testament concept of the, of the sacrifices and, and the feasts and even Yom Kippur wasn't a, a, a seal of they're saved. It was a reminder that you were in need of salvation. It didn't save them. It reminded them. So this our, our sin reminds us of how good Christ is to seal our fate. So maybe thinking of it that way. Well, seventh mark is a Christian is guaranteed glorification. Romans 8. Romans 8. Again, sometimes we throw out these terms, glorified body, glorification, and we really don't fully get our arms wrapped around this. But Romans 8.30 uh, we'll go start Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to, his, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, right there again, we're reminded that God foreknows, God predestines, God calls, God justifies, God glorifies. There's nothing in that, in this passage that suggests that you've done anything. That any man, anywhere, place, shape, or form has ever earned or done anything to gain salvation. This is all God. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us, all how will he not also with him freely give us all things who will bring a charge against God's elect God is the one who justifies he justifies who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus is he who died yes rather who was raised who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ and again this is at the crux of, of this discussion, can a Christian, a genuine Christian, lose their salvation? Can they? Who, who here can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? To follow up on the flow of Romans, may it never be, right? It's not there, it's conjecture, but... 
Verse 36, just as it's written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So, so, verse 38, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing created shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, very, very powerful um, passage reminding us that our assurance, again, is tied into what? Tied into to what God has done, that God has glorified us. The, the building of the knowing and the predestining and the calling and the justifying is the ultimate glorification. That's the, the glorified bodies that dwell with God eternally in heaven. So for Christian to lose his salvation, again, somehow you would have to figure out how... I guess you can be separated from Christ. You can crack the code here, even though this passage says that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Well, finally, uh, a Christian can't lose his salvation. A genuine Christian, a genuine Christian marked by new creation, redemption, justification, a promise of eternity, a seal, glorified body. How, how could that be revoked? Uh, Romans 11. Romans 11, 29. For the gifts, again, back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. For the gifts and the calling are irrevocable. If you you just weren't quite sure, can this be taken back? The, The gift cannot be taken back. The calling, which is from God, which we just read in Romans 8, the calling cannot be Reversed, it can't be revoked. And why? Again, what we're saying in all these examples is in for you to lose your salvation, God would have to turn his back on himself. And what do we start with? God does not lie, God does not change. If if any of these were to change, then God would be a liar. God would be one who changes the deal, who changes what salvation is. He doesn't. This is one of the amazing things about the scriptures, about the Bibles. The Bible does not change. We're reading the same Bible that the Hebrews read. We're reading the same Bible that Daniel read. We're reading the same Bible that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul, and right? Same Bible. Luther. It's irrevocable. It doesn't change. Well... Again, just real quickly, some of the common objections. Why we think we can? Well, what about sin, right? Okay, we. Well, what about sin? But I, I, I see Christians. I see this guy, and man, he, he's he sins. 
First John talks about that. If, if you say, read First John, if you say that you love me, then you will keep my commandments. First John also talks about everyone who practices, practices sin, then is lawless. Matthew 7, 21, 23 gives us some insight into this. God says there, there, there will be some that will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, and he will look at them and he will say, depart from me. And what's the reason? I never knew you. Now, now think about this from, for a second. Our struggle, our struggle with this situation is that we see people partaking in Christianity. We see people tasting right? But they're not members. They're they're not genuine believers. They're there, but it's not real. Now, you don't know that. This is the tricky part. You don't know that. And you shouldn't judge that because you don't know that. You don't know if somebody is, is just there looking around. You don't know if somebody's actually tasting because they might buy. Or you don't know that somebody's in. You, you don't know. And this is kind of that concept of then why we don't judge others. Uh, again, as a pastor, it's this situation is sinful. I, I don't, I'm not judging on whether or not you're sinning because you're saved or not saved. I'm, you just need to repent. I don't know if you're saved or not. All I know is you need to stop doing this. The Bible's very clear. Because um, I don't know and you don't know. And so we have to be very, very um, careful with that. But God does know. And in this passage, what we see here is somebody thought they were in good. I, I preached for you. I healed people for you. And God is looking at them and saying, I never knew you. Who are you? Think about that. They thought they were okay. In their eyes, they were Christians. They were saved. Even in our eyes, maybe we thought they were Christians and they were saved. In God's eyes, I I don't know who you are. And so it wasn't a matter of him saying, you were a Christian, I saw that, I know you, but then you left me. That's not what he says. What he says is, no, you were never on the team. That should help us a little bit. Um... And so we will see people that seemingly were in the faith, but then depart. But for a true Christian, for a true believer, they're going to be so marked by these things that even though there may be, um, you know, some people call it backsliding. I, I just prefer calling it sin um, because, again, we, will, we, we all have sinful moments, but we will be marked by this insatiable desire to be the new creation, to, to not be that old guy, that old girl, right? Even though at the moment we're, we are, but, but we're, we're perpetual sin fighters. We're perpetually, willfully being, you know, submissive, as, as willing bond servants, as slaves to Christ. And that's the difference. Because before, 
You really wanted to follow the evil one in his ways. And, and now you're, you're fighting as hard as you can not to. And so what we see here then is just a beautiful picture again of what Christ has done for us. And the only way to break that, the only way to separate us from that is then he would have to change the deal. And I don't see anywhere in scripture where he changes the deal. I see all over where sinful man sins. I see all over where people who have titles sin. A title doesn't make you saved. Being pastor does not make you saved. Being the pastor's kid doesn't make you saved. Being the pastor's wife doesn't make you saved. Friends, having a title or position as high priest, right? We've seen a lot of those creeps. Prophet, that doesn't work. King, that doesn't work. Apostle, that doesn't save everybody, right? These titles and things, that is not the mark of genuine Christianity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for...